welcome to this week's uh, Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. I am the host and producer and news director. The Environmental Justice Report is a spinoff of the Progressive News Network. I run both of them, along with our founder, Rick Spizak, and many other assorted guests. So today we're focusing on the environmental but we also have a few other new things as well, so let's kind of move into it. So the title of today's show is The Dual Danger of the Willow Project and Our Bomb Trains. So the Willow Project, and I'm reading straight from the advert, the Willow Project sounds tranquil, but, you know, in a sense, a cemetery is also tranquil. This project will permit fossil fuel expansion on public land, specifically in Atlantic I'm, I'm sorry, specifically in uh, Alaska and that western end, okay? When we consider this fossil fuel expansion in conjunction with the sorry state of our railroads, we have an environmental formula for disaster. Now, that's our first story. Then we have our East Palestine, East Palestine Watch Report. I have to keep reminding myself that in Ohio, they call it East Palestine as opposed to East Palestine. So we're kind of breaking it up. We have our new East Palestine Watch Report. The East Palestine bomb train is merely one of far too many what we call bomb trains. And a bomb train is a train that carries uh, highly flammable, highly dangerous materials in an age where our railroads, the tracks, the trains themselves are in a horrible state of massive disrepair because here in the United States, we refuse to pay for infrastructure investment. And to get the slightest bit of infrastructure investment, we have to literally sell our souls to get the Republicans to sign on to anything. Because God forbid there should be anything in the public sector and not coughed up and given to the fat cats on Wall Street. And, of course, I'm being sarcastic. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't being too obtuse for our, some of our listeners Okay, so to add to the East Palestine Watch report, it's been reported recently that the levels of carcinogenic chemicals in East Palestine resulting from the most recent derailment are astronomical, uh, specifically dioxin. In addition, we have politicians who actively blocked newer safety regulations in return for campaign, in air quotes, contributions, otherwise known as unethical, though technically legal, active influence peddling. Okay? Now, both stories trace back these environmental crimes to corporate greed. So that's our big part there, okay? Then we have, of course, our Jackass of the Week feature, which I usually save to the end of the program, right before final thoughts. And then we have something new, our Deplorables Watch List of Infamy. And I had to add that because, honestly, what these Republicans and, yes, some corporate Democrats are letting happen is just, it's beyond the pale. I'm disgusted. So let's move on. Take a little drink of tea here. Okay. So let's move on to our first story, the Willow Project. Now, there's a lot of you that don't know much about the Willow Project. We have two sources here. Now, 
it's it's really ironic. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is a noted alleged progressive, uh, what made the talk show rounds, especially on Meet the Press this morning, and she was, you know, hailing the Biden administration's commitment to environmental safety and trying to save this old world of ours. Honestly, if it hadn't been so sad, I would have been laughing my ass off and falling out of the chair because this Willow Project flies in the face of Biden claiming he's our, quote, first climate president. Um, You know, it's just not true, all right? Um, The Willow Project is wanted by ConocoPhillips, which is a major fossil fuel producer. So we're going to go to our first story, and that is from The Guardian. Okay, so the Willow Project, I mean, in fact, no, no, we're going to go to the one from the other one first. I'm sorry, folks. If I sound a little tired, it's, what can I say? It's just been a bad asthma week, and I'm a little, I'm a bit sleep deprived today, so I'm going to do my best. So our first story in the Willow Project is actually from the Center for American Progress, and it's aptly titled, a piece written by Jenny Rollin Shea. Staffly titled, Four Reasons the Willow Oil Project is Unfit for Approval. Now, this report dates back to this past August. Okay. There was, uh, first of all, the Willow Project is something that ConocoPhillips, which is a major fossil fuel company, wanted. And it's in the Western Arctic uh, and, in, you know, in Alaska. Alaska. Now, the Willow Project, and don't you just love it when they take these dirty fossil fuel projects and give it such a, a a harmless, pretty little name like the Willow Project? I can imagine the next devastating uh, fossil fuel project will be called, what, the Butterfly Project, the Tulip Project? I mean, come on now. But this is the Willow Project. ConocoPhillips is behind it, and it had been approved by the Trump administration in 2020. But it was struck down by the courts in 21. Okay, good. Now, the Biden administration, though, Mr. I'm the first climate president, you know, got caught in another lie. And, you know, they're saying, well, we're fine with the Willow Project. Um, And it is in direct conflict with the, according to this report, the administration's climate obligations. in the Western Arctic. So here we go. So on July 8, 2022, the Biden administration's Bureau of Land Management, and the article is called BLM, but that's what it stands for, Bureau of Land Management, they released a, what they call a Supplemental Environmental Impact Study uh, Statement, excuse me, and it was for a, quote, Willow Master Development Plan. This plan had been proposed by ConocoPhillips. <coughs> excuse me. Now, the document gives basically some potential ways to move forward with this project that <coughs> should not be given the okay at all. There were two options. One, the one preferred by ConocoPhillips is move ahead, and the one is no action alternative that would reject it. Uh, and again, this study was, um, again, conducted by the Bureau of Land Management. So this column talks about why the Willow Project should not 
be moved forward. Okay? Again, the Willow Project, it's about oil and fossil fuel drilling in the Western Arctic. Keep in mind, a large portion of the Arctic ice bridge, if you will, whatever you want to call it, has melted. Now, when Arctic ice melts, it's not just that it contributes carbon dioxide that helps to destroy the planet. It releases, mass, it releases massive amounts of methane, and that speeds up the, deg- the environmental degradation at an exponential level. It makes things far worse. So let's go on here. So there's four reasons, according to Center for American Progress, and they are as follows, why the Willow Project should not go ahead. One, and I'm just reading straight from this, the proposed project is a climate disaster in waiting. Two, the analysis for the project covers only a sliver of ConocoPhillips plans for the area. Three, new information on the risk of gas leaks has not been properly assessed. And four, number four is really damning. ConocoPhillips has played an, they call it an influential role in the environmental review. Now, why should any private corporation play any role in the environmental review of their product? They should just be reviewed and have no say in what happens. That'd be like saying, hmm, Junior's going to take a history exam. But Junior's going to play a major role in the grading of his exam. It's asinine. But that just shows you how far influence peddling for both parties has been taken in our country. Keep in mind, influence peddling, you can call it campaign contributions, outright bribery, whatever you want to call it, graft. According to Citizens United decision, it's technically legal, but it's still highly unethical. And we have massive influence peddling in our nation. And both parties are guilty. So let's look at these four reasons why the Willow Project should never never be allowed to move forward. Number one, Willow is a climate disaster in waiting. Now, the Trump era climate analysis was actually thrown out by the courts in 2021. It was thrown out by the court because it was considered insufficient. Okay. There's new uh, supplemental environmental impact statements that have been released recently, and the updates uh, include estimates that the carbon that would be released if Willow were allowed to go forward, um, the numbers are far worse than what the Trump administration, you know, said. So they're really damning. So I'm going to read from this here. Quote, developing and burning oil from the Willow Project would produce up to 287 million metric tons of carbon dioxide over the next 30 years at a time when the United States urgently needs to move away from fossil fuels. That's equal to the annual emissions of 76 coal power plants, in other words, a third of all coal plants in the United States. If approved, emissions from the Willow Project would eclipse those avoided through achieving the Biden administration's renewable energy goals on public lands and waters by 2030, end quote. So, and that is, again, based on documentation from AmericanProgress.org, as well as the EPA, and, God, I can't see that, as well as ePlanning, Bureau of Land Management.gov. Okay, so let's 
think about that for a minute. What it's saying very simply is this. If the Willow Project is allowed to go through, it will create so it will produce so much fossil fuel that the emissions from that fossil fuel, once used, would be far far more than all the alleged savings through energy goals uh, that would have been achieved through the Biden administration's renewable energy policy. So basically, this would be if the Willow Project were allowed to go through. This would be uh, the equivalent of, say, a severe diabetic taking a minimal shot of insulin and eating five chocolate cakes. It won't work. Those chocolate cakes will beat that little bit of insulin every time. So this article goes on to say that, you know, when Biden was first in office, first few months, he set this ambitious climate goal, and this is documented by WhiteHouse.gov. And it was supposed to be more ambitious in terms of climate restoration than any other president. And it was, quote, to reduce carbon emissions by more than 50 percent by 2030, end quote. Okay. This piece goes on to say, quote, but the Willow Project is a climate disaster in waiting. If any piece of the proposal is approved, a more thorough accounting of its climate risk will be necessary, including whether those risks fit under a scenario where the United States produces carbon emissions by more than 50% by 2030, end quote. I'm going to say something here that really hasn't been spoken. We need to stop calling this global warming. We need to stop calling this a climate uh, emergency. We need to call it what it is, global destruction, because that's what it is. We are destroying the planet, period. And I hear a lot of people in my generation, I'm 63, say, oh, I won't be there. I don't care. But their kids and grandkids will. We are destroying the planet. So a handful of people can become richer than they already are. That's it. I'm not going to soft pedal it. So that's reason number one. Well, it's a climate disaster in the making. Okay. Point number two, quote, the analysis fails to account for the full scale of ConocoPhillips development plans, end quote. This is step one. ConocoPhillips, according to leaks and sources, has plans to develop the Western Arctic far more than that. There is, they want to create a, quote, a network of infrastructure, uh, end quote. And ConocoPhillips Senior Vice President for Global Operations told investors I'm just going to read this straight from here, and this is as documented by Static. I can't see that. This is as documented by, yep, StaticConocoPhillips.com files. Okay, here it is. Quote, ConocoPhillips Senior Vice President for Global Operations told investors as much at a June 2021 meeting calling Willow the next great Alaska hub and noting that the company had already identified up to 3 billion, with a B, BOEs, barrels of oil equivalent of nearby prospects and leads with similar characteristics that could leverage the Willow infrastructure, end quote. So in order to put that in context, you have to imagine 3 billion, with a B, barrels of oil is the equivalent uh, to carbon emissions of every single one of our cars, trucks, planes, and any other form of transportation in the United States combined in a year's time, annually. Let that sink in. 
Okay. Now this goes on to say, and again, it's documented by static um, excuse me, dot com. Quote, a slide deck accompanying the presentation highlighted that Willow's, quote, infrastructure hub unlocks the West and that its design was intended for expansion. This is all at a time when scientists say that if the United States is to hit its climate goals, the country cannot afford to have any more fossil fuel development, never mind infrastructure build-out that extends far into the future. The International Energy Administration has said specifically that there is no need for investment in new fossil fuel supply in our net zero pathway, end quote. And that quote from the International Energy Administration is from www.iea.org reports. Okay. Now, what is the Bureau of Land Administration? Uh, what is the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, for the Biden administration demanded of ConocoPhillips to date? I mean, we know Trump administration just basically wrote them a blank check, but what has Biden done? Well, I'm just going to. This sentence is too good. I'm just going to read it. Quote. Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, has so far failed to require ConocoPhillips to disclose the full extent of its plans, yeah, and instead has approved each new development in isolation, failing to consider the overall picture and impact, end quote. So the Biden administration's Bureau of Land Management is just turning a blind eye to it, just going, well, we didn't see that, so we didn't tell them no. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, this goes on to say, again, straight from the article, quote, over the past decade, ConocoPhillips has developed a string of products. I'm sorry. Let me start again. Quote, over the past decade, ConocoPhillips has developed a string of projects in western Alaska, each dependent on the previous one, as the company progressively encroaches toward and into the Tishapook Lakes uh, special area, fragmenting the habitat and contributing to noise disturbance and air pollution for the most mostly indigenous community. Okay, so I'm going to just go on here. Now, Progressive AOC has called out this project, but she's really focused so far on the Cook uh, Cook I can't pronounce this. The Lord forgive me. Cook Village in Nixut, um, the indigenous group there. But the fact is, the Arctic should not be explored for fossil fuel, period. That's going to exacerbate, make much worse, the melting of the polar ice bridges. And that's going to make this global destruction happen that much faster. Okay, it's kind of like uh, if you're trying to go ice skating, say, on a little pond near your home, and, you know, it's iced over, and you can go skating. But then some moron brings a flamethrower, and then everything melts and everybody falls into the water. That's what ConocoPhillips wants to do. It's the equivalent of, th- of a flamethrower that's, go- that's going to make global destruction happen that much faster. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. Now, this goes on to say, quote, the project currently under review represents only a fraction 
what ConocoPhillips has planned for the region. And the analysis does not consider the impacts from the full scale of the project that ConocoPhillips executives have sold to their shareholders. While an honest assessment may take more time to complete, the administration cannot approve what is known to be just a snippet of something bigger, end quote. Okay. So the Biden administration, Bureau of Land Management, is acting like, you know, what is it, a stork or a flamingo putting their head in the sand? We don't see it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, folks. Hmm. A little more tea here. Hopefully that'll help a little. Point number three. The Bureau of Land Management must account for the risk of gas, gas leaks. Now, just this past March, there was a methane gas leak at ConocoPhillips Alpine Field drilling site. Now, that isn't far from the proposed Willow project. And all the personnel there had to be evacuated, as well as any families from the nearby village, uh, because methane is a very dangerous gas. Now, ConocoPhillips did do an incident report as documented by documentcloud.org with an attachment. And they blamed the leak, quote, on a shallow gas zone that was previously undetected and indicated that thawing permafrost played a role in the severity of the leak. This finding is directly relevant to the Willow Project, given plans to use chillers to freeze the melting permafrost in order to build the infrastructure needed to drill for oil, end quote. The idea that what was previously called permafrost not only is melting, a lot of it is already melted. Permafrost stands for permanent frost, permanent ice. Except it's no longer permanent. And we know that the carbon dioxide released by fossil fuel melts it further. But methane, it, methane melts it at an exponential rate. It's far worse. So the company knew by their own incident report that there was a shallow gas zone from thawing permafrost, and they were going to use chillers. And that is, it's doc, the chillers um, documentation came from a report from businessinsider.com. I want you to think about that for a minute. They're going to keep the melting permafrost just cold enough so that they can keep pumping oil through for the purpose of basically more profits that will destroy all the permafrost. There's no guesswork here. Okay. Now, the report, this report from Center for American Progress goes on to note that the initial, the first Trump-era Willow Project analysis, and that is according to, as documented by ePlanning.BLMBureauLandManagement.gov, public projects, um, the Trump-era analysis just barely mentioned any potential air quality impacts from a gas blowout, okay? And they just kind of, you know, in typical Trumpian fashion said, it's no big deal, okay? It doesn't affect them, right? Now, any comments that on that analysis that related to gas leaks were, again, 
just set aside by Bureau of Land Management is, quote, very unlikely, end quote, and, quote, no cause for concern, end quote. Now, this goes on to say the most, quote, the most recent 400-plus page draft review, again, straight from Bureau of Land Management, included just two paragraphs acknowledging the leak at Alpine, but did not include new analysis or acknowledge the impacts that the event had on the surrounding community, end quote. I'm going to read that again. Quote, the most recent 400-plus page draft review included just two paragraphs acknowledging the leak at Alpine, but did not include new analysis or acknowledge the impacts that the event had on the surrounding community, end quote. I want you to think about that for a minute. The Biden administration helped do this 400-page, more than four, over 400 pages of a review of this project. And in 400 pages, there were just two paltry paragraphs saying, yeah, there was a leak at Alpine, but brought in no new analysis or no, no mention of the effects such methane leaks would have on the community, on the rate of global destruction itself. My question to the Biden administration, President Biden, how in the hell can he call himself a, the first climate president without choking on the words? Seriously. But I think that's kind of like when Joe Biden you know, claimed that, uh, what was it recently I saw on the Young Turks, that his dad explained to him about, you know, gay people and love is love, Joey. And that he had no problems with, you know, gay marriage, even though in 06, and then again in 08, he said, no, he was against gay marriage. And, you know, marriage between a man and a woman, boom. Turns out little Joey's opinions kind of changed based on the politics of the day, which does not it speaks to not his integrity but lack thereof of integrity and Obama's lack of integrity too you know they are just as tolerant as the amount of money they receive in contributions we really need to look at these people in truthful ways you know you know the it's true Trump and his followers they're Nazis. Okay, I'm just going to say it. But we also have to call out the corporate Democrat enablers that are too cowardly to stand up to them. They just collectively hand ring and go, what can we do? They're being mean to us. You could try fighting for a change. You could try representing the majority because these hardcore Trumpers do not represent the majority. That's for another program. So I digress. Okay, this report goes on to say that the Alaska Oil and Gas Conservation Commission is going through a review review of the accident, um, you know, of the Alpine accident. Okay, they haven't published the findings yet, um, but we need to see what that is. And the review still pending. And because the review is still pending, Bureau of Land Management for the Biden administration, their supplemental analysis didn't have all the information it needed to consider the risk at Willow. Okay. Um, the report goes on to say, quote, the threats posed by shallow well gas and melting 
permafrost are cause for a serious reassessment to protect public health. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, if BLM, Bureau of Land Management, does anything but reject the proposal, it must have all the information from the investigation to fully address the risk of a similar accident at Willow. And now the final reason why Willow should not go through. Number four, Conoco Phillips, straight from this, quote, Conoco Phillips appears to have been influential in the review of the project, end quote. Don't you love how they call it? It appears to be influential. It's called Conoco Phillips is, for all practical purposes, coming very close to telling the Bureau of Land Management what to put in the report. It's called cheating. So I'm just going to read straight from this because this is damning enough as is. Quote, ConocoPhillips, which has already brought in nearly $10 billion with a B in profit so far this year, obviously has an interest in the Willow Project going through as quickly and as close to the company's vision as possible. But because of this interest, there are understandably concerns about how closely the company has been involved in development of Bureau of Land Management's environmental analysis. It goes on to say, quote, from day one, ConocoPhillips played an active role in its own project approval and appears to be a fox guarding the henhouse. According to documents received under the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, ConocoPhillips was directly involved in analyzing the court's decision that overturned the initial environmental review of the project to determine next steps. Along with the SEIS contractor, who ConocoPhillips also picked, the company participated in the development of a supplemental review seemingly intended to narrowly fix the issues found in the court ruling rather than consider the full impact of the proposal. So, translation in my opinion. The lawyers for ConocoPhillips sat down with Bureau of Land Management. They analyzed why the court said, no, this is not going through. And then they created a very narrow argument which would allow the project to go through by, and why would they want a narrow argument to omit, as to borrow a phrase, the inconvenient truth of how much damage this project could potentially cause, uh, could contribute to global devastation. That's why. This is another example of corporate attorneys bastardizing their licensure in order to jerry-rig the system. Now, it's true, lawyers have a right to represent their clients, including corporations. No doubt about that. But the field of corporate law is particularly crooked, in my opinion. And I have enough evidence, you know, I'm, I'm right now in the middle of actually writing a book about this, about the role, about how these armies of corporate law firms and corporate attorneys have been the driving force behind this corporate attack on our world, on our everyday lives. The 1%, the billionaire class, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk, and these big corporations couldn't get away with one one hundredth of the, I'll just say it, of the shit they do without armies of corporate attorneys crafting their get-out-of-jail-free card, put bluntly. But that's what this is about. And it goes on to say here, quote, a set of notes from a September 1st, 2021 post-judicial ruling meeting between 
Bureau of Land Management, ConocoPhillips, and the contractor include clear timing preferences for project approval from ConocoPhillips, including that company's goal to have a record of decision or a rod by, by mid-year 2022, end quote. They also indicate, quote, that ConocoPhillips will, ConocoPhillips will be prepared to provide support staff to address the development of alternative project de designs. And then there's a sentence here, which I, it's strong enough I agree with it, quote, environmental review of the project must be comprehensive and ensure that ConocoPhillips' heavy hand does not unduly influence the analysis, the timeline, or Bureau of Land Management's ultimate decision on the project. Now, this particular piece was written by Jenny Rowland Shea. It appeared in Center for American Progress. Um, it was also, the, the author wanted to thank Nicole Gentile, Sally Hardin, Steve Bonatabis, I can't say his name, Lila, Layla Hughes, Bridget Sarianos, and Brooke Brisson for contributions. Okay, And it should also note that citations for this section were received from a request under the FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. These documents, which include communications between ConocoPhillips and Bureau of Land Management concerning the Willow Project, are on file with the author. You have to wonder why mainstream media is not talking about this. And they're not. They're talking about the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank. They're talking about Trump's latest infantile tantrum. Uh, things that, but they're not mentioning this. Folks, we are destroying the planet. What does it take to get through all of your thick skulls? This is not histrionics. It's the truth. Okay, so now you know something about Willow Hill. Let's talk about, there's a piece in The Guardian. It's an analysis piece by Oliver Millman. The title is Biden's Approval of Willow Project Shows Inconsistency of U.S.'s First Climate President. Wow, that's a polite way of saying it. You know, even Al Gore got in on this and said, finally, that the Willow Project, quote, would be, quote, recklessly irresponsible to allow the Alaska oil drilling plan. Okay. But, you know, Joe Biden wants to call himself the first climate president, except that, you know, it's bullshit. Uh, he did sign this land, uh, allegedly landmark legislation to deal with global heating. And he called the rising temperatures, quote, an existential threat to humanity, or whoever wrote the speech for him, let's put it that way. But let's be honest about this. That landmark legislation not only did it have stuff in it for renewables, but it also had goodies for the very fossil fuel industry that has destroyed this planet. That's not the actions of a climate president. If he were truly a climate president, he would use that bully pulpit and he would say, look, this is the best deal we could get. It's not what I wanted, but, you know, it's better than nothing, I suppose. That being said, however, I'm going to instruct, like if I were president, I would say, I will instruct the Bureau of Land Management and the EPA to, with very heavy hands, crawl up the fossil fuel industry's butthole 
and make sure they're following all the regs and slap them down the second they look at everybody the wrong way. And he would call out the fossil fuel industry and say this Willow Project is a horrible idea. You know, we passed this one bill. Help me defeat this. He could use that bully pulpit. And you know what? Being a stutterer isn't really that much of an excuse because I'm a stutterer. You've heard me stutter on air. And I'm not thrilled with it. Some of you listen through all my coughing and hacking in the dead of winter. If I can do it, he can do it. This isn't about anything except another politician that wants to claim the mantle of hero that they do not deserve. And it's ludicrous. The Willow Development Project is a horrible idea. The fact that where they want to drill is right in the middle of of our dwindling permafrost is not just asinine, it's just plain damn stupid. All right, every scientist in the world is saying we have to stop. We just do. We need not just find renewables, we need to conserve. We need to change our ways. And this is not happening. Okay? So, what the White House, according to this article, is doing is they're pointing at Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how it's really affected and hurt global energy markets and triggered, you know, a push to build, you know, more ways of getting fuel to everybody. And I get that. But, again... You know, during World War II, for instance, there was a uh, shortage of gasoline. Guess what? People weren't allowed to drive everywhere. They had to find other ways. They took public transit. We're in the middle of an emergency here. We are destroying the planet. And fossil fuel is to blame. That's it. Period. There is no guesswork here. You know, when I grew up, and I guess I'm doing a lot of my own talking now. When I grew up, when I was a teenager in the 70s, most households had one car. That was it. And you took turns. And only people that were fairly rich had more than one car. You didn't go to the drive through for every little nonsense. I mean, think how lazy we'd become. We are too lazy to get out of the goddamn car and walk into a store, walk into a, a fast food place. We have to go through a drive through We waste more energy. You know, we have urban sprawl, and that's largely due to this desire to segregate instead of building households closer in. We've attacked public transit. Again, because the car industry wants to sell as many cars as they possibly can. We have allowed our government to be taken over by corporate pirates. That's it. And it doesn't matter how many little project points they have here. This is outrageous. You know, Al Gore told The Guardian, um, let's see now, according to this article... 
this article ran Tuesday. So the Friday before, I believe it was. We don't need to prop up the fossil fuel industry with new multi-year projects that are a recipe for climate chaos. Instead, we must end the expansion of oil, gas, and coal and embrace the abundant climate solutions at our fingertips, end quote. And, you know, that's from The Guardian, and I agree with him. I would also say we need to practice some conservation as well. Do we really need to be having our factories working around the clock to produce, produce more junk that we don't need? Seriously. You know, do we need to pay more for bottled water that, what, costs for a small bottle a couple of bucks, but from the tap costs a few pennies? You know, what about the whole idea of disposable diapers? I mean, I know a lot of moms love it, but again, it's a major thing in landfills and it's asinine. You know, it's called get a washing machine or get a diaper service. Cloth diapers are better for your kid's skin anyway. I mean, think of all the things we package stupidly. When I was a little kid, you know, like in grade school, there was still a milkman that came around and he brought you milk in glass containers. When you were done, you put the empties out, he'd pick it up and we could go back to that. It would be another job for somebody. Better yet, if we need jobs, how about have a society where we have enough of a social safety net that we can conserve and people can still live a decent life? So that's the Willow Project. We're going to move on now. <clears throat> apologize for my voice today. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the bomb train story. This is something that is really, you know, outrageous here. So, you know, everybody knows about by now. I mean, if you don't know about what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, you must be living in a cave. Okay. About a month ago, actually a little over a month ago, um, this train that was way too big and in probably some disrepair had a major derailment. It was carrying um, certain chemicals, and in order to avoid a major explosion, the fire um, fire officials and the EPA set up what they call a controlled burn. Of course, you still had this major almost mushroom cloud of black smoke. Makes you think, what would the major explosion have been like, right? And, you know, initially we reported when we were talking about East Palestine, and this really is about our East Palestine Watch report. <clears throat> as much fun as it is to basically jump on the Trump administration and blame them because it's, it is fun and it's true. But the Biden administration is following a lot of the same rules. There isn't much difference, frankly, and there should be. Um, Michael Regan of the EPA, they had basically scrubbed from EPA websites any mention of certain carcinogens, especially dioxin. They weren't measuring for dioxin at that time. This was, you know, about three weeks ago, something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so I think we made enough of a stink 
they finally did start measuring for it. We have this other piece from The Guardian. It's a piece by Tom Perkins. It was published just this Friday on St. Patrick's Day. The headline reads, Levels of Carcinogenic Chemical Near Ohio Derailment Site Far Above Safe Limit. EPA scientists assessed a dioxin cancer risk threshold in 2010, but a federal cleanup is only triggered at far higher levels. So, the EPA, once again, is failing us. You can give us all these words of assurance, but that doesn't fix the problem. Here in my home state of Missouri, we know all about dioxin. You know, Times Beach, it was illegally dumped. They had massive cancer clusters all over that area. Okay, The guy who did it finally went to jail. You know, dioxin is deadly. No, no debate on it. So you think, okay, why would EPA not want to assess it at first? And if they did, and finally when they did assess it, why did they scrub the report from their website? And then finally, why is it only then requiring EPA a federal cleanup at much higher levels than, you know, what would be required to say it's a cancer risk? Well, because that would reflect on their corporate masters, put bluntly. You know, if you, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you believe that our federal government, our state's governments represent us, well, you know, I have a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you really cheap, and hot damn, Marjorie Taylor Greene must be a goddamn Rhodes Scholar then, because it's that stupid. It just is. So getting back to this article. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> Another sip of tea here. Mm. This colder weather is really hard on me. Okay. So there's newly released data, and that is uh, as documented by www.in for indiana.gov. And this data shows, quote, so I'm just reading from this here. Quote, newly released data shows soil in the Ohio town of East Palestine, scene of a recent catastrophic train crash and chemical spill, contains dioxin levels hundreds of times greater than the exposure threshold above which the Environmental Protection Agency scientists in 2010 found poses cancer risk. And that is as on the cancer risk as documented by www.federalregister.gov documents. Draft recommended interim preliminary remediation goals for dioxin in soil at CERCLA and RCRA sites. Think about that for a minute. Hundreds of times more than what should automatically trigger the EPA to say it's a cancer risk. Okay? Now, go. the article goes on to say, quote, the EPA at the time proposed lowering the cleanup threshold to reflect the science around the highly toxic chemical, but the Obama administration killed the rules and the higher federal action threshold remains in place, end quote. So what that's saying, in 2010, when the EPA found out that, you know, even lower amounts of dioxide 
pose major cancer risk. And the EPA said, look, we need to lower the requirement, the threshold. In other words, you know, right now, in order to trigger an EPA clean cleanup, it has the contamination must be at a high level, a much higher level. And we need to lower that so we can clean this stuff up. And the Obama administration said, nope, not going to do it. We're going to protect corporate. You know, so if any of you think Barack Obama is, was some, you know, messiah, you're wrong. He's just another corporate attorney, nothing more. And so the Obama administration said, nope, we're not going to lower the level that's going to trigger an EPA cleanup of this uh, carcinogen, namely dioxide. Dioxide. We're going to make. We're going to keep the rules we have, which make it harder to get some justice for the people who have been dumped on. Okay. So uh, the article goes on to say, "Quote: Though the dioxin levels in East Palestine are below the federal action threshold, and an EPA administrator last week told Congress that levels were very low. That's a lie." Chemical experts, including former EPA officials, reviewed the data for the Guardian called them, quote, concerning. It goes on to say, quote, the levels found in two soil samples are also up to 14 times higher than dioxin soil limits in some states, and the numbers point to wider contamination, said Linda Birnbaum, a former head of the U.S. National Toxicology Program and EPA scientist. Birnbaum said, quote, the levels are not screaming high, but we have confirmed that dioxins are in East Palestine soil. The EPA must test the soil in the area more broadly. So the article goes on to explain, quote, so the article goes on to explain that, yeah, this data probably confer- confirms the, the fears of a lot of people in East Palestine that the very controlled burn of vinyl chloride after the wreck is what actually created the dioxin and then dispersed it throughout. Okay, think about that for a second. You know, I saw them do that controlled burn. I thought, how effing stupid are they? They said they had to do the controlled burn in order to avoid a major explosion. Maybe. Uh, I think that we need to look at that controlled burn and see, what's there another way of dealing with this? Okay? But... This data is basically is, is saying that the controlled burn of the vinyl chloride is what actually caused the dioxin, which is a known carcinogen. Okay? This is outrageous. All right? I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative. This makes no difference. This is outrageous. Okay? And the fact that, you know, President Biden didn't come down there. The fact that Pete Buttigieg, the head of the Department of Transportation, has done nothing, this is outrageous. You know, in Congress, you watch these these uh, Democrats, you know, question the CEO of Norfolk Southern and say, will you please clean up? They're begging him to do what he's supposed to do. Shouldn't be begging him. You know, people, the Republicans scream they don't want regulation, and yes, some corporate Democrats as well. There's an, when they scream deregulation, the markets like are the markets are this magic, magical religion to them. Understand this: there's another word for the there's another word for the <clears throat> for the idea of regulation. It's called the law. That's what regulations are. They're laws, and we need laws 
that make these corporate entities, when they are criminally negligent, make them pay. Make them pay civilly and make them pay criminally. And every person in East Palestine should be basically monetarily protected. In other words, they should get health care forever, no matter what happens to them and their kids. Their houses should be bought out and provide them with housing and a job elsewhere. And East Palestine just needs to be shut down. Okay? Seriously. So, you know, once again, how many derailments have we heard about in the news since East Palestine? And the fact is derailments happen in the United States of tra- derailments of trains happen in the United States practically every other day. Why does that happen? Well, we haven't maintained our railway tracks in decades. Uh, these, tra- these trains are using, for the most part, a braking system that dates back to the Civil War. They cut their workforce, like Norfolk Southern cut their employees by a third. They don't allow them to have paid sick leave. Oh, and, and when the railroad workers, that was one of their concerns, was safety. And what did Joe Biden do? He sided with the corporations and said, no, railway workers, you can't have paid sick leave. Okay? And so this is what we're dealing with now. Now, to help you understand about dioxins again, this article, quote, dioxins are a class of chemicals that are a byproduct produced when chlorine is burned. And that's a common, which is a common industrial process in the make in making products like PVC. Okay, this article goes on to say, "quote The chemicals are highly persistent and can accumulate and stay for years in the environment or human bodies. Among other health issues, the compounds are linked to cancer, diabetes, heart disease, nervous system disorders, and other serious health problems." Soil and food contamination are considered to be among the most common exposure routes, end quote. You have to understand that this is going to hurt their children, too. Make no mistake about it. Now, the article goes on to say, quote, after resisting calls for weeks to test for dioxins, the EPA on March 3rd announced it would order Norfolk Southern to do so. Now, why are they ordering the criminal to do the dioxin test? The EPA should have been ordered to do the dioxin test, not Norfolk Southern. This goes on to say that, quote, separately, Indiana last week commissioned testing of East Palestine soil because one of the state's landfills is storing it. The testing was conducted by what Birnbaum characterized as a reputable laboratory. Okay. End quote. Now, it says the Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb claimed the levels of dioxin found in the soil were, quote, not harmful. Okay. And the regional administrator for EPA, a woman named Deborah Shore, gave congressional testimony on March 9th, and she called the dioxin levels found in Indiana as, quote, very low and good news. Really? Ms. Shore, I would like to ask Ms. Shore, would you like to live in that part of Indiana? Would you like to live in East Palestine since it's good news? You know, that's insane. But the EPA is claiming the levels are low from a legal standpoint. This is where the mechanization of the law 
clashes with the actual science, the scientific truth. Okay? For the law to say, well, the threshold is low, we're okay. But we're not okay. The science says they're not safe. The science is saying that this is a proven carcinogen. Period. Um, and based on EPA's own science, they're saying that dioxin is not safe. And dioxin experts spoke to the Guardian, and they basically said that uh, Deborah Shore, EPA Administrator Deborah Shore, her assessment was not accurate. Neither was Governor Holcomb. Now going on the article says quote regulators established the toxicity of dioxins in a soil sample by calculating the toxicity equivalence of all dioxins in the soil compared with the most toxic dioxin compound called 2378 tcdd east palestine soil shows levels of 2378 tcdd toxicity toxicity equivalence of 700 parts per trillion the level at which EP, the EPA will initiate cleanup in residential areas is 1,000 uh, parts per trillion. Okay. Keep in mind, that's a high threshold that was kept there by the Obama administration. wonder if he'd like living there. But I, I think that, you know, he's too busy making movies. You know, I don't care if he's making movies. I do care, though, that... I don't think, you know, the teacher in me says, I, I don't care. I wouldn't care if it was Moses himself. I've said this before. You know, I do the, you said this, you did this. The documentation shows this. Explain yourself. And, you know, even if it's somebody that you think is basically a good person and they do a bad thing, that does not negate the fact that they did a bad thing. It just doesn't. So, You know, but they go on to say this article, cleanup triggers for dioxin are much lower in other states. In Michigan, the cleanup trigger is 90 parts per trillion. And in California, it's 50 parts per trillion. So why are the people in Ohio having to wait till it hits 1,000? Okay, do they get a special prize? I'd like to ask President Obama that. Is that what it is? Is that why you kept that uh, unreasonably high threshold for EPA cleanup of a proven carcinogen such as dioxin? Did they get a prize, President Obama? I'd like to know. So those of you who think I only pick on Republicans, not true. So it goes on to say how EPA scientists in 2010 put, they assigned the cancer, well, the cancer risk threshold for dioxins that are present in residential areas in the soil at 3.7 part per trillion. And the agency recommended lowering the cleanup trigger to 72 part per trillion. Now, I want you to consider what they're doing here. They're playing Russian roulette with the health and the lives of the people of East Palestine and neighboring communities. Okay? Think about it. EPA scientists documented in 2010 what they considered the cancer risk threshold for dioxins that are found in residential soil, and it's as low as 3.7 parts per trillion. 
So what did the EPA in 2010 during the Obama administration do? They said, we should lower the cleanup trigger to 72 part per trillion, which is a whole lot more than 3.7. And look at what the federal cleanup standards are, 1,000 parts per trillion in Ohio. If the cancer risk threshold for dioxins in residential soil is at 3.7 part per trillion, then what triggers a EPA cleanup should be 3.7 part per trillion. That's it. Anything else is is uh, unacceptable. You know, do you honestly think that if you were in a gated community, you know, like where Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Hillary and Bill Clinton, or Nancy Pelosi, or, or, you know, Mitch McConnell, all these people where they live, do you think that it's going to be that risky for them? No. See, this is where the law has totally disregarded the truth of the science. That's it. Okay. Okay. So they have a quote here from Stephen Lester, who is a toxicologist. He is a toxicologist and there's a specialist in, you know, reviewing these type of poisons. Because that, when you're saying that something is toxic, you're saying it's poisonous. That's what it is. And Stephen Lester has researched dioxins specifically for 40 years. And he's also the science director for the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice. And according to Stephen Lester, he said, quote, when you run the numbers and do your best state-of-the-art risk calculations, that's the number you get for the cancer risk. That's why dioxins are described as one of the most toxic chemicals ever created, end quote. Again, if the number, the measurement for cancer risk caused by dioxin is 3.7 part per trillion, then the number that should immediately trigger a federal cleanup and criminal prosecution of the dumper should be 3.7 parts per trillion and nothing else. Stephen Lester went on to say, quote, the rules were ultimately killed for political reasons. Okay? End quote. The article went on to say that exposure to this level of dioxin is probably widespread in the United States. And the fallout created by trying to make the change would be difficult. Um, But Lester went on to say, quote, instead of making adjustments for the high risk of these chemicals, they dropped it. They just walked away from it. And that's the crazy part of this story, end quote. So now, legally, the EPA can take that thousand parts per trillion and say it's safe even though cancer risk for the same chemical, dioxin, is present and and severe at 3.7 parts per trillion. That should make your blood boil. Okay? Now, the Guardian did send some specific questions uh, of the EPA, and the EPA did not respond. They did send, however, a statement where the agency just kind of reaffirmed their own judgment. And a spokesperson from the EPA wrote, quote, 
the available data analyzed and validated by an independent laboratory shows the waste from East Palestine that went to Indiana does not contain harmful levels of dioxins, end quote. Oh, my God, this is such bullshit. I'm sorry. I, I can't even deal with this anymore. I'm serious. <laughs> this is what corporate rule does. We are all just beast of burden to be used and disposed of, cannon fodder, whatever you want to call it. That's it. <sighs> so it goes on to say that it's really unclear where and at what depth the samples, the dioxin samples were collected. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, so that has implication for potential risk too. I mean, what if it's at the surface level and then it's seeped in and saturated down deep and then you decide to plant some tomatoes and your tomatoes come up and they look beautiful. And then 10 years from now or less, you come down with cancer, even though maybe there's no family history of cancer, from eating those tomatoes, most likely. Again, I'm not saying for sure, but it's yeah, strong suspicion. I mean, why do you think that the medical profession makes a big deal about saying that cancer is triggered by some sort of genetic failing in the person? You know, if you look at actual genetics, cancer is a mutagenic response to something that normally would not be seen in nature. Okay? So for cancer to happen, there had to have been a tr an environmental trigger. You know, to say, well, you have a gene that predisposes you to certain forms of cancer, that may be true, but that just because you have a gene doesn't mean that gene is actively expressed. It could be, it could be you know, something that just remains dormant, not expressed until it's triggered by some sort of environmental event. We need to tell the truth about this. Okay. All right. So, you know, Birnbaum, you know, the one scientist said that, for instance, if the results revealed a wide range of dioxins, that also suggests the chemicals were, that dioxin was actually created in the vinyl chloride burn. Even though dioxins are present throughout the environment, but they're usually at very low levels, even in industrial areas like East Palestine, um, the background profiles of the dioxin, quote, are usually limited to fewer types of dioxin. Okay. Now, they mentioned something about Missouri here. It says, quote, in 1980, the EPA forced the evacuation of Times Beach, Missouri, like I said, when dioxin levels exceeding 1,000 parts per trillion were found in the soil after the chemicals were sprayed on the town's roads to prevent the spread of dust. End quote. I'm not kidding. It was that stupid. Um, so, you know, once again, and Birnbaum, Birnbaum also noted that Dioxin doesn't just stay in the soil. You know, where does the wind take it? She says, quote, what you really need to know for the people in the area to be safe is where did the dioxins come from? Where did the wind take it? 
where was it deposited and where is the area with heavy levels, end quote. Okay. Something to consider, folks, is, okay. So that was the Guardian's article there, okay. Now we have the bomb trains. Give me a second here. And this is from the American Prospect. Okay. And it's a piece written by Luke Goldstein. It was published March 7th. And the headline is, quote, after East Palestine bomb trains, question mark. Okay, no, don't lock me out of here. It goes on to say, quote, a proposed merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern would facilitate shipments of tar sands oil from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Tar sands oil. This is some of the most toxic coal out there. It's not oil. It's bituminous coal. And it pollutes the worst. So apparently the train derailment from East Palestine triggered this, you know, attention to these trains carrying this, okay? Uh, People were starting to worry about, you know, what they call, quote, runaway bomb trains, those carrying tar sands oil. And, um, you know, there's been lawmakers are talking to this pending rail merger, you know, between these two uh, railway companies. Um, now, last week, alleged alleged uh, progressive Elizabeth Warren, she sent a letter to Surface Transportation Board Chair Martin Oberman, and she was urging him to block this deal between Kansas City Southern and Canadian Pacific. It's a 27 billion deal, billion dollar deal, B with a bill, billion with a B. Um, and her letter, she's arguing the concentration in the railroad industry, um, you know, has given, quote, the dominant carriers greater market power to throttle shippers and jack up fees. She goes on to say, according to this article, quote, it also makes the case that the deal will invigorate the very conditions that caused the East Palestine disaster by undercutting labor staffing and decreasing service quality. Canadian Pacific in particular has been routinely cited by transportation authorities for safety violations related to its outdated braking system, which has led to fatal crashes, end quote. Okay, we're still coming back to this lack of safety at all. Okay, that's what we're dealing with here. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so she's bringing up Senator Warren's bringing up this this point here. Um, furthermore, according to this article, Democratic Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, and Democratic Representative Katie Porter, who's running for the U.S. Senate in California with a bunch of local lawmakers, quote, have spoken out against the merger because of the impact on their states. Okay. Um, The deal has received an unprecedented amount of opposition from interest groups across the board, from environmentalists to unions and even local firefighter groups, end quote. Um, So, you know, what they're worried about, and, and rightfully so, is that you have these trains, they are carrying toxic chemicals 
flammable chemicals and such. And basically, the, what should have been the routine pre preventative maintenance hasn't been done for the most part. They have trains that are, as we've said in the program before, too long. They have antiquated braking systems. They have a braking system that was designed at the time of the Civil War. Okay, that results in these derailments where you see the cars kind of going, you know, all different directions like, you know, Legos when they fall. Okay, because, you know, once again, on these old braking systems, each railway car stops at a different time. It's not like it's not like where you press the brakes in your car and the whole car stops. <clears throat> um, it's more like if you were driving one of these trains, you press the brakes, the first car stops, then the next one, then the next one. Of course, you get a pileup. It's asinine. Keep in mind, though, this is all because of deregulation. All of it. Big business did not want to do the basic maintenance, period. We can come up with all these explanations, but that's what it boils down to, deregulation, okay? And we don't get the benefit either, okay? That's the other thing. So that's what we're dealing with here. Now, you go further on into this article, at the end of it, you'll say that there were many experts that, you know, assessed Canadian Pacific in particular and that their most recent derailments were, again, quote, a byproduct of running exceptionally long trains upward of two miles long without adequate staffing, end quote. All right. So, you know, once again, this is all done because of greed, because big business wants to do what they want to do and they don't want any rules. Okay? So, you know, <laughs> it gets worse. There's a lot of um, people, you, you know, people don't think of trains as big money, but they are. And there are politicians on both sides of the political aisle, Democrats and Republicans, that, you know, take legalized bribes. Make no mistake about it. Citizens United legalized bribery and extortion if you were an office holder. It, legal, it legalized influence peddling, and that's what it is. Uh, but there's, one, there's a couple of politicians at the federal level in particular that have really benefited from these legalized bribes from the railway industry. And according to The Lever, Dave Sirota's wonderful publication, there was a piece done March 9th by Julia Rock, Jordan Ewell, and Matthew Cunningham Cook. The headline is, Rail Lobbyist Turned Senator Could Block Safety Bill. It goes on to say, John Thune, he's a Republican, embodies the rail industry's Washington influence machine that could now kill bipartisan safety legislation. Now, Senator John Thune, he was a Republican, is one that you probably haven't heard very little about. Okay. He avoids the cameras. Even though I believe he's number three in the leadership, something like that, he's up there and has been for a long time. But, you know, he's smart. He stays out of the line of cameras. 
you know, because let's face it, he knows what he's doing is wrong. All right. So this goes on here. It talks about, quote, I'm just reading from the article. In 2004, a registered lobbyist for a railway corporation got himself elected to the U.S. Senate, and then he promptly helped his former client become eligible for billions in cheap federal loans in the wake of the company's hazmat, that means hazardous materials, train derailment. The same lawmaker, Republican lawmaker later spearheaded the effort to repeal a major rail safety rule while becoming one of the Senate's top recipients of campaign cash from the industry. And that's GOP Senator John Thune, Republican South Dakota. Now, he's going to bat for the industry again. He's become an obstacle to new railway safety initiatives. He is the second highest ranking Republican in the U.S. Senate. But you, most of you have never heard his name. Isn't that outrageous? Um, and in the wake of the East Palestine disaster, he's been critical of any bipartisan uh, work to, you know, fix the situation. Okay? Thune is quoted as telling The Hill, at, which was echoing earlier comments on CNN, quote, We'll take a look at what's being proposed, but an immediate quick response heavy on regulation needs to be thoughtful and targeted. And he goes on to say that lawmakers should wait to, quote, get the facts and then figure out what, if anything, needs to be changed. What, if anything, needs to be changed? Really? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So... But not only has Thune been, you know, a recipient of that industry's cash, he employs, uh, well, here, one of his former legislative staffers is now a top lobbyist for the industry, and that is, as documented by www.railwayage.com. I think they are AAR taps um, Arnakis. For government affairs post. So, this is what we're dealing with here. I could go into it in more detail, but it's you can read this yourself. Now, there was a bipartisan group of U.S. senators last week, well, early March anyway, that did propose what they call the Railway Safety Act. Now. This bipartisan group proposing what they call the Railway Safety Act would do the following. It would limit train lengths. It would require two-person crews on freight trains. It would strengthen the transparency requirements for hazmat trains, trains carrying hazardous materials. And it would set standards for infrastructure maintenance and also increase the maximum fines for safety violations. Very fine. And on the Senate side, there are three Republicans backing the legislation. Uh, Marco Rubio, J.D. Vance, and here in Missouri, Josh Hawley. Okay. Um, Senator Schumer, who's the majority leader, pledged that they move quickly on the legislation. But again, railways are fighting it. Okay. And Thune's been called, according to this article, the lobbyist in senator's clothing. So... You have to see what Thune's background is, okay? So let's look at Thune. 
he sits right now, he's, he's the number two Republican in the U.S. Senate. He's on the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. Figures, he'd be interested in that. Um, he, let's see now. Thune also served, according to this, as the railway, Railroad Director of South Dakota from 91 to 93 before he was elected to Congress. Okay. He retired in 03 after a failed Senate run and became a lobbyist for the Dakota, Minnesota, and Eastern Railroad. Okay. This is the same railroad he had previously regulated as a state official. Wow. Hello, Fox. Meet Henhouse. Bon appetit. He kept lobbying for the company. The company is, according to his article, quote, now a subsidiary, guess what, of the Canadian Pacific Railway. And that was during his Senate campaign in 04. Okay, so, wow. Um, Thune helped the company get a $230 million loan from the Federal Railroad Administration. Okay, according to NewYorkTimes.com, and that was in, looks like, 05. Um, when he joined the Senate in 05, he attempted to help the company get a $2.3 billion federal loan when it wanted to expand coal freight operations. Okay. Um, he had convinced colleagues to expand the loan pool for railroads from, I'm reading from this, Quote, from $3.5 billion to $35 billion and increased the pool for small railroads from $1 billion to $7 billion, making his former client far more likely to win its loan. And this is a quote from his office. Quote, the Thune provision allows the Dakota, Minnesota, and Eastern Railroad and the Iowa, Chicago, and Eastern Railroad to apply for a loan package totaling $2.5 billion to rebuild or rehabilitate over 1,300 miles of rail, the majority of which would be spent in South Dakota. And that was, end quote. And that was from a press release from his office after the bill passed. Quote, um, and then he said, quote, if, well, he went on to say, quote, if approved, the loan would finance South Dakota's largest railroad infrastructure program. That, that was after the bill passed. Okay. Um, there was, according to documentation obtained from the New York Times, quote, a fellow senator called Thune's loan pool expansion, quote, the most despicable special interest deal I've seen in all my 30 years in government, end quote. We don't know who said that, though. Now, Thune's former client was rejected for the loan. Um, there was some scrutiny of Thune's lobbying background. Um you know, it should be noted Thune is the third largest recipient of cash from the railroad industry in the Senate. Okay. Uh, the highest ranking Republican in the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, hasn't said whether he'll back the legislation. Keep in mind, his wife, Elaine Chow, was the transportation secretary during Trump. And, you know, where numerous rail safety rules were repealed. That's according to AP News. It turns out, even though Senator Thune is the third largest recipient of railroad bribes, um, the top recipient 
of railroad from the top recipient of railroad industry campaign cash in Congress, according to OpenSecrets.org, is Missouri's own Representative Sam Graves, Republican Missouri. He's the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman. So, let's be honest here. We don't have a chance. We are dealing with crooks. You know, bribery, influence peddling may be technically legal since Citizens United. It's still unethical. It's still influence peddling. It's still dirty. No matter what you say. Okay? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Sorry about this today, guys. All right. So now, let's see. Give me a second here. Give me a minute. I'm trying to pull up this article. We're going on now to our new our new feature. This is our deplorable watch list of infamy. Okay. Okay. Let's see now. Trying to get it here. Okay, so we'll use this piece from Truth Out. All right, so let me get the music. This is, it really should say hypocrisy too, So, but let me get this ready. Okay, again, a new feature on, okay, where'd it go? A new feature on both Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report. This is our deplorable watch list of infamy. These are the bad guys. Here we go. Got to get our sound effect here. Again. Sorry about that, folks. I'm not a technical person. Ah! Here we go again. Sorry about that. So, that evil laugh is our deplorable watch list of infamy. And tonight it goes to the new governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Not only is she deplorable, she is a deplorable hypocrite as well. This is the woman, her her daddy's a minister, he was also a governor, and they are so, allegedly so pro-life. Okay, apparently pro-life only when they're protecting a collection of cells that you call a zygote. But they're not going to protect children that are already here. And this is because Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the new governor of Arkansas, According to Truth Out, signs a bill making it easier to violate child labor laws. The bill comes as child, and, and the articles by Sharon Zhang of Truth Out. Again, the headline is Arkansas Governor Signs Bill Making It Easier to Violate Child Labor Laws. The bill comes as child labor violations are on the rise across the U.S. And this was published March 8th. You have to understand something. We're not talking about your teenage daughter or son working at the local Dairy Queen. We're talking about dangerous jobs here. Okay? There's a reason why we have child labor laws. First of all, a minor kid 
should their job shouldn't uh, be to be a wager. Their job should be school. Okay? And growing up. But this law would eliminate the requirement for children under the age of 16 to show any documentation or proof of their age so they could work. So before this, if employers wanted to employ a 14 or 15-year-old, they had to get a work permit showing the child's age and get the parents, you know, permission. This is a Republican-sponsored bill. It was passed by the state legislature in Arkansas. Um, you know, the Republicans are claiming, along with the governor, that the permit system, which dates back to the early 1900s, is, quote, an unnecessary burden on employers and, in Sanders' words, obsolete in modern times, end quote. Now, mind you, this bill signing by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Little Miss Pro-Life, comes right after federal officials revealed explosive reporting that uncovered illegal child labor being alive and well in the U.S. The Department of Labor issued a $1.5 million fine, uh, for instance, to Blackstone-owned Packers Sanitation Services. Uh, Apparently, they were illegally employing over 100 children. Some of these kids were as young as 13. What was their job for Blackstone-owned Packers Sanitation Services? It wasn't the Dairy Queen. Their job, these babies, was to clean slaughterhouses in eight different states. To clean slaughterhouses. So these babies would be exposed to animals being cut up into different pieces. They would be exposed to the infections that run rampant, to dangerous tools. The New York Times also uncovered companies that manufacture products for you know, brands you might buy at the local grocery store, and that they're packing factories full of immigrant children. They're calling, the New York Times called it, quote, a new economy of exploitation. Okay? Um, there's been about a 69% increase in illegal child employment since 2018. Um, this is just really vile, okay? So... Where are the concerns about child abuse, neglect, and childhood endangerment? You know, again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is Little Miss pro-life, okay? She's worried about zygotes, but not kids that are already here, especially not children of color. Make no mistake about it. There's a reason why, several reasons why we don't employ children like this, okay? First of all, they are more susceptible to injuries, and that is as documented by, um, I can't see this, I'm sorry, humanrightswatch.org. They're also, according to Human Rights Watch, they're also more susceptible to dying on the job. Um, they're more successful, they're more success, excuse me, susceptible to toxic chemical exposure. Okay, which can be more dangerous for children because their bodies are still developing and a child or a minor's body, they absorb these elements much faster than an adult. Okay, you keep in mind, a pediatrician doesn't want to give a kid you know, too much Tylenol, but you can expose them to toxins on the job. huh? Um, and Republicans throughout this country are pushing ahead with these laws to you know, repeal the child labor laws. There's Republicans in Iowa, Missouri, Ohio, Minnesota, and Wisconsin that have introduced bills, 
again, getting rid of protections, limiting the hours and times of your children can work, um, which would allow children to even work hours during the school year. In Iowa, Republicans, according to this article, I'll just say here, quote, Republicans are seeking to expand the types of work that children are able to do, like working in industrial freezers, meat coolers, and industrial laundry, and exempt employers from liability if children are injured or killed on the job. It would also allow Iowa officials to grant exceptions to the types of work children are allowed to do if the work is classified as a work-based learning program, stripping children of worker compensation rights. Okay. Work-based learning. What? Learning how to clean up after dead animals? What are they learning? Okay. This is absolutely despicable. And again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, she has positioned herself as Little Miss Church Lady. Okay. Constantly defending the rights of a zygote, but not children are already here. And so for that reason, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the first recipient of our deplorable uh, deplorable watch list of infamy. Here we go. She's just evil. Talk about hypocrisy. Absolutely evil. Okay, so now we're getting ready for our Jackass of the Week Award. Give me a second, folks. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Hopefully my voice will hold out. Comes and goes. A little tea. Mm. Okay. Give me a second here. Okay, so at the risk of being redundant here, you know, there are some people that just, you know, really are deserving of this jackass award, okay? They just, you know, they really embrace the idea of jackassery full-throated, okay? So here we go right now, our jackass of the week award. Give me a second here. Ah. Sorry about that, folks. My phone's doing weird stuff here. Okay, welcome to our Jackass of the Week Award. And once again... For levels of jackassery that go above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, For levels of jackassery that prove that, yes, you know, to borrow a phrase from, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. To borrow a phrase, yes, Virginia, this this level of jackassery does prove that shit indeed does float. Our Jackass of the Week Award once again goes to Speaker Pro Tempore, Marjorie Taylor Greene the successionist in charge. And, you know, this is really special to me because little Margie, as I call her, you know, I feel a connection there, all right? You know, I feel like my Jewish space lasers just, you know, openly embrace 
this neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi, I'm going to say it, bitch. So, you know, once again, bravo, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for embracing jackassery to the fullest extent. In fact, she was the topic of my latest article that you can find both in, but first in BuzzFlash as an original and then also in Nation of Change. The title is Marjorie Taylor Greene Advocates for Succession Again. So Speaker McCarthy makes her speaker pro tempore. Marjorie Taylor Greene and her call for a national divorce is a call for illegal succession. And it is, you know. And I'm just going to read a little bit from it, not the whole thing. Marjorie Taylor Greene is many things, brash, ignorant, loud, and one of Donald Trump's biggest fans. She's a top fundraiser for the GOP and is convinced Jewish space lasers caused the California wildfires. Little Margie, as I like to call her, dismisses cold hard facts in favor of her preferred bigotries. She hates drag queens and cradles an AR-15 like a baby. She's also a successionist. Um, and I just go on here, and I'm going to skip ahead. I'm not reading the whole thing. I also say, quote, now green pushing racist and anti-Semitic tropes wouldn't warrant her. Well, here, I'm just going to go on here. Um, she's appeared on multiple talk shows explaining how we would become a cluster of nation states where those who vote Democrat should lose their voting rights for five years if they happen to have the misfortune to live in a red state. Little Margie is pushing the stated goals of many neo-Confederate groups. I'm skipping ahead. I'm, voting, I'm reading bits and pieces. Now, Green pushing racist and anti-Semitic tropes wouldn't warrant her removal from office. Pushing homophobic and transphobic lies wouldn't either. All that is protected speech under the First Amendment. The succession thing does. Okay? And that's what it is. Okay, she's pushing succession. She doesn't understand. Well, maybe she does understand what she's saying. I don't know. But she embraces jackassery. And at the end of this article where I describe all the bad things she's done in terms of her need for succession, uh, I quote, I make two quotations that really, you know, sum up the strategy employed by Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, first of all, it was Lyndon Johnson who explained, you know, the psychology of racist bigots like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Lyndon Johnson said the following, quote, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you, end quote. And the thing that sums up the jackassery of Marjorie Taylor Greene is the last, the end of this article. And I urge you to read the whole thing. Here it is. Quote, put bluntly, Marjorie Taylor Greene is merely the latest obscene incarnation of that strategy. She is, as Shakespeare once said, a device used to tell a, quote, tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, end quote. That's from Macbeth Act 5, Scene 5. So for all these things, Marjorie Taylor Greene is our jackass of the week once again. Bray on, little Margie, bray on. Yes, shit does float. Okay. Alrighty. I couldn't resist. I do encourage you to actually read the article. Also look at, um, we're going to be doing, I, I want to prove that progressives also have a sense of humor because we do. 
And so we're going to be doing, I think, a little snippet, little comedy thing um, coming soon. And we're going to be, you know, it's going to be centered around little Margie, as I call her. Um, I never thought I'd find somebody as full of jackassery as her, but it did. So, you know, stay tuned. So when we're talking about, you know, final thoughts here, you know, this country used to stand least for a few things. And, you know, the rise of Trump didn't happen overnight. The racism, the misogyny, the homophobia, transphobia, the anti-intellectualism, all of this, it did not happen overnight. It's been an organized plan. And a lot of it is coming from white Christian nationalists. There's plenty of evidence to point to that. They want to roll the clock back, not to the 1950s. Hell, they want to roll it back to the 1650s. And we can't allow them to do that. We just can't. Um, And it's hard. I mean, where I draw the line, you know, people say, well, we have to be civil. We have to, you know, we can agree to disagree, that kind of thing. And, you know, on minor things, I can agree with that. But the second the opposition goes the bigotry route, I'm done with them. That's it. I'm not going to agree to disagree. I'm not going to be civil to a – I'm not going to give civility to a bigot. I'm just not. Because it really speaks to the true idea of justice, which is fundamental fairness, that we all should have equal rights before the law and absolutely no privilege. It's that simple. It's the fairness thing, stupid. And that's what this show is really about. That's why we take the time to expose these injustices. It's the fairness thing. It's the justice that is lacking. And, you know, those of us in the minority community, we're at a particular disadvantage because the corporate Democrats, they're not going to fight for us. They're cowards. Okay? They're just not. You have to kind of get rid of that illusion and understand we have to stand strong all of us together that's what these bigots are absolutely paranoid about that is what this whole um you know this replacement theory comes from these people are projecting their own bigotries their own evil against us they're terrified they're paranoid that we're going to do to them what they've done to us we're not we just want justice But this is this infantile psychology, and it's almost like an infantile mass psychosis. It's always been there, all right? And what we have to realize is when there's, you know, more traditional what I call white liberals, you know, these are the people that are uh, progressive or liberal on social issues that cost no money, but not on fiscal issues. You know, they're more like Republicans. Well, the fact is this. Fiscal or economic issues are social issues. A lack of health care for everybody, no matter what they can, can or cannot afford, is a social issue. The lack of a living wage is a social issue. It just is. And these white liberals that get uncomfortable, they're afraid of Trump because Trump went after them too. Where was their fear when the black community has been constantly attacked? 
Where was their fear when the immigrant community was attacked? Where was their fear when feminists were attacked, or the LGBTQ community? Where's their fear when our teachers are being attacked? We have book burnings. And teachers are being told they can't teach the truth about American history. Newsflash. You can call it CRT, critical race theory, whatever. The fact very simply is this. Those who say racism isn't systemic in this country are full of crap. Slavery was embedded into the law of the land before the 13th Amendment. Ergo, it was in our legal system. Therefore, yes, systemic. Jim Crow laws that were based on racist ideas that denied equal rights to the black community were embedded in our laws. They were in the legal system. Ergo, they are systemic. This is not the act of a few bad apples. So to say systemic racism doesn't exist is a barefaced lie. Of course it exists. And it's not enough to say you don't like it. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be anti-misogynist. You have to be anti-homophobe, anti-transphobe. You have to realize that all of us should have human dignity and equal rights under the law, period. That's it. That's it. And I don't know what it's going to take to get some of you cowards to stand up and be counted. We have to defend our brothers and sisters of color from these, not just race, call them what they are, from these Nazis. We have to defend Jews and Muslims and Sikhs from these Nazis. We have to defend feminists from these Nazis. We have to defend the LGBTQ community from these Nazis. We have to defend our teachers from these Nazis. And if you don't feel the same way and you know me, then forget you ever knew me. It's that simple. If you're too cowardly to do the right thing and you actually know me personally, forget you ever knew me. Because I don't want anything to do with y'all. That's simple. That's what the show stands for. There are some that call me radical. If radical means that I that standing for true justice, then I will wear the moniker of radical proudly. Because I recall there were very few radicals that were along when my people were being thrown in ovens. This is a measure of who we are, where our conscience is. That's it. That's what these shows, Progressive News Network and the Environmental Justice Report, that's what we're about. So with that, I say good night and God bless us.